The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. While Pastor Matt is on vacation, our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson, will be talking to us from the book of Hebrews. Today, Lou is in chapter 12 and looking at verses 1 and 2. Let's join him now in his sermon entitled, Running the Race of Faith. And now, here's Lou. Well, I don't know about you, but I hate running. I got some people out there that agree with me there. I figured I'd probably get some of you kind of upset, but I, I guess not. Do any of you really enjoy running? Hey, oh, there we go. We, I suspected we might have a few of you crazies out there in the audience. You know, when I was in college, I really did try to learn to enjoy running. I tried as hard as I could. In fact, every other uh, night or so, my roommate and I would go out and run for two or three miles around the outskirts of the Cal Poly campus. We did this for about a period of about six months or so. And really about the only thing I can remember about those times is being worn out, gasping for breath, and cherishing the end of each night's run. For me, running was really uh, quite challenging, to put it mildly. And interestingly, the writer of the book of Hebrews compares the Christian life to running, and specifically to running a long-distance marathon. And in light of my love for running, it was no surprise to me that the Greek word used for race in the book of Hebrews is the word agon, from which we get our English word agony. That's exactly it. And I immediately concluded, yes, the writer of Hebrews understood running quite well. But this author also understood the Christian life quite well also. Jesus promised his followers that in this world that they would have tribulation. And my experience in life has been that that is really true. Life as a Christian can be agonizing at times. And I'm sure that in a room this size that some of you have experienced that very same thing. And if you're living right in the middle of the agony of the Christian life right now, this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, it contains encouragement and practical exhortations about how to make it through the Christian life. But before we dive into our text this morning, let's talk about some background of this particular text. The original readers of the Hebrews of the Hebrews letter had suffered in the past and were suffering even as this letter was being written. They were mostly Hebrew Christians and they had started out strong in their faith and they were enduring persecution with joy, but they were growing weary. And in their weariness, they were tempted to abandon their faith in Christ and to revert back to their comfortable Jewish traditions which they had been raised in. This letter was written to encourage them to not give up and to provide some practical instructions on how to persevere, even though they were suffering and weary and tempted to quit. And the title of this morning's message is, Run the Race of Faith. And our text is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So turn with me to this passage of Scripture if you haven't already. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the 
the pocket there in front of you and read along with me. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now the first thing that we notice in this exhortation are the role models for the race of faith. And make no mistake, role models are very important in all of the different areas of life, and especially when we're considering how to live as Christians. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian Christians this. He said, therefore, I exhort you be imitators of me. He understood the importance of role models and commanded the Corinthians to follow his example as a role model. And in the text we're considering today, the author starts out, therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So the therefore actually takes us back into the previous chapter, into Hebrews chapter 11, which is the so-called Hall of Faith chapter. And Hebrews chapter 11 lists a whole host of biblical characters who persevered in their faith in spite of hardship. And among those mentioned are, you got Noah and Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Joseph, and many others. And then at the end of this long discussion, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 makes the following observation. He says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. You see, all these men persevered in their faith, even though they suffered and didn't immediately receive what they had been promised by the Lord. Abraham didn't see the Messiah and the nation that was promised him. Moses only saw the promised land from a distance and never actually entered it. And Jacob never saw the great king, the Messiah, that was promised through his son Judah. And these great men of faith, they they weren't upset about that. Why? The Lord had assured these men that these promises would be fulfilled. And they were content. And they persevered in faith with that understanding. The author of Hebrews refers to these great men of faith as witnesses. Now, they're not witnesses in the sense that they're they're standing around and watching us. They're witnesses in that they are examples testifying to the readers of this letter about persevering in their faith until the very end. And the witnesses of Hebrews 11 are the first role models that the author of Hebrews encouraged his readers to focus on. And there's also a second role model that the author exhorted his discouraged readers to think about, and that is the ultimate role model of Jesus himself. Like the witnesses of Hebrews chapter 11, Jesus suffered in this life. He was mocked and deserted and tortured and put to death, even as we have celebrated today. Yet he persevered in his faith till the end. And Jesus, along with these men, must be our role models for the race of faith. 
And as role models, they testified that suffering was going to be part of the race of faith. And the promises of the the health and wealth preachers of today are, quite frankly, they're vicious lies. These role models also testified that the race of faith can be successfully completed in spite of the suffering, and that completing the race is worth it. And they also give us clues in how we can successfully finish the race. And in the case of Jesus as our role model, later on in the sermon, we're going to look at some more details of the how-tos that Jesus' example provides for us. Well, now that we've seen the role models for the race of faith, let's look at the preparation for this race in verse 1. In this verse, there are two preparation steps. Notice the first step where the runners in the race are commanded to lay aside every encumbrance. Now, some of you probably have a New King James or an English Standard Version in front of you. How do these versions translate that word, lay aside every encumbrance? How do they translate that word? Wait, wait. Yeah, and that's actually a, a very literal translation of what that word actually is. You see, when a person is running a marathon, weight is enemy number one. You want the lightest clothing possible. You want the lightest shoes possible if you desire to finish this race in any sort of a respectable fashion. And you want to do exactly the opposite of what Lloyd Scott did in the New York City Marathon in 2003. Here's the outfit that Lloyd run in that marathon with. And amazingly, he finished. He finished. One thing, took him five days, as you might be able to imagine. In preparation for the Christian race of faith, all extra weight must be laid aside if we desire to finish the race well. We can still run with these encumbrances, but they slow us down. In the Christian life, these encumbrances are things that are are not really wrong in themselves. Here's how one prominent Christian author defined encumbrances. He said, encumbrances weigh us down. They divert our attention. They sap our energy. And they dampen our enthusiasm for God. And I'd like to review some of the more common encumbrances that can hinder us as Christians today. The first encumbrance is busyness. You know, so many Christians mistakenly equate busyness with fruitfulness. And the sad fact is is that busyness often is just a cover-up for shallowness in our own Christian lives. We can be too busy participating in both secular and Christian events and activities. As an example, if... If you and I are too busy to spend time quietly before the Lord with our hearts ready and our Bibles open before us, then we're just simply too busy. And this busyness will encumber our running the race of faith. Another common encumbrance is the pursuit of wealth. And by this I don't mean trying to make a decent living. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about setting our sights on becoming wealthy. This is folly, as the Scripture teaches, and will certainly hinder us in the race of faith and can even lead to disqualification. 
Another common encumbrance is excessive involvement in secular entertainment. And I mentioned this before, and I'm not going to dwell on this. But if we spend a lot of time consuming secular entertainment, we will not run the race of faith real well. The last encumbrance I want to specifically mention is a lack of spiritual discipline. Any serious runner knows that they must train if they're going to do well. If we're going to run the race of faith in any sort of a serious way, we must discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, as the Apostle Paul said. We must plan into our schedules activities specifically that help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. And again, there are many encumbrances that can weigh us down and hinder us in the race of faith. But if we're really serious about eliminating them, then we should sit down with our schedules and our checkbooks in front of us and review them before the Lord. More than anything else, the way we spend our time, in other words, our schedules, and the way we spend our money, our checkbooks, are the best indicators of whether there are any encumbrances in our lives. Now, there's a second preparation step in verse 1. In preparation for the race of faith, all sin must be laid aside if we desire to run the race of faith well. You see, as the author of this letter comments in verse 1, sin, it entangles us. It wraps itself around us. At the time this was written, Greek marathon runners came to the starting line of this race wearing long robes. And they took off these robes before they started started the race. If they had tried to run the race in these robes, they would have become hopelessly entangled with them and boom, they would have fallen down. And this is the picture that verse 1 is painting. If we try and run the race of faith with known sin in our lives, we're going to get tangled up and we're going to trip and fall. And if there's sin lingering in our lives, then we really must let it go. Now, in the case of the Hebrew readers of this letter, the sin that they seemed to be particularly struggling with was the sin of unbelief. And back in Hebrews chapter 3, notice what the author exhorts his readers. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So applying to this, this to us, how does unbelief manifest itself? I'd like to suggest two particular ways this sin of unbelief manifests itself in our lives. And the first one way that unbelief manifests itself is in worrying. You see, the root of all worry is unbelief. Worry is grounded either in unbelief about the Lord's willingness to care for us or His ability to care for us. Either way, worry is truly a horrendous sin that comes perilously close to blasphemy. Now, the reason why I can speak so authoritatively about this sin is because it's the one that I am most easily tempted with. Somewhere on me, and I haven't figured out quite where it is, I've got a worry button, okay? And Satan knows where it is and he loves to press it real hard and real often. 
And I, along with the rest of my fellow worriers, must put off all worry and put on in its place thankfulness and praise of our wonderful, faithful God. A second manifestation of unbelief is grumbling. You ever catch yourself being negative and kind of about things that are happening in your life? You know, the kids are not behaving as they ought to, and you know, there's too much month at the end of the money, and people at work are not being nice to you, and you kind of catch yourself kind of grumbling about it. Well, the problem with this kind of grumbling is that it ignores the fact that God causes all things to work together for the good. If we're called according to His will and to His purpose and we love Him. When we grumble, we also forget that God allows trials to come into our own lives for our good. To refine us and make us more like Himself. In fact, immediately after the passage that we're looking at here, the author of Hebrews reminds his readers that much of the suffering that they are enduring is God disciplining them in order to refine them and make them like Himself. So if we catch ourselves grumbling, and all of us do from time to time, myself included, we must repent and choose to focus on the truth of God's love for us and His faithfulness. And like the prophet Jeremiah as he, in shock, surveyed the utter destruction of Jerusalem and the slaughter of his people that went along with that destruction, we must respond like Jeremiah did. He said, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never ceased, for his compassions Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Well, we've looked at the role models of the race of faith and the preparations necessary for the race of faith. Now let's look at the strategies for the race of faith. Now the first strategy is found in verse 1 where the author commands his readers to let us run the race that is set before us. Now, I realize that this may seem a bit obvious, but as you look around today, there are many Christians who are, they're not running in the race at all. They seem to have this attitude of kind of, hey, look, I put my faith in Christ, and so I got my free ticket to heaven. I'm just going to kind of live any way I want and have fun. These folks are sitting on the sidelines and occasionally looking up to watch some of the other people who are running in the race. And the race that they're running seems to be the race for pursuing pleasure. But notice in the text that we're looking at today that we're commanded to run a race that is set before us. You see, the Lord sets before each and every one of us a race of faith that He wants us to run. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul comments that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. We were created by the Lord to run this race of faith. There's simply no option available for us as Christians to sit on the sidelines. 
The race of the Christian life involves growing in our relationship with Christ and being used by Him in the lives of other people. This is the race that the Lord sets before all of us. And I would ask all of you here today, are you running in the race? Are you seeking to grow in your relationship with Christ? And are you watching for the people that the Lord sovereignly brings into your life that He wants you to minister to? You know, maybe some of you here today realize that you've been trying to comfortably kind of sit on the sidelines and avoiding the race and focusing on pleasing yourself. Maybe today you realize you need to be obedient to the Lord and get back into the race. And if this is you, then repent and make today the day that you get back in the race of faith. And if any of you desire some direction on how to get back in the race and to keep on racing, I'd love to be of help to you. Much of what I do here at RBC is help people to get in the race and stay in the race and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. For all of us, the first strategy for running the race of faith is to commit ourselves to running the race. Without this commitment, in light of the length and, and the pain involved in the race, we won't make it to the finish line. The second strategy for running the race of faith is found in verse 1 also. Notice that the readers of this letter were commanded to run the race with endurance. It was no accident that the illustration the author of Hebrews used to make his point was the long-distance marathon. You see, the Christian life, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's a race of endurance. And those who run marathons will tell you that the strategy for running a race that is a sprint is very different from a race that is a marathon. And although the approach mentally for a sprint is very important, the mental approach for a marathon is even more so. When running a 26-mile marathon, at least from what I understand, at about mile 20 or so, your body has completely exhausted itself of all of its energy. In running terms, at about mile 20, you you hit the wall. And the last six miles or so of the race become a supreme test of mental toughness, testing whether you will keep running even though every fiber of your being wants to quit. It's a supreme endurance test, both mentally and physically. Well, the race of faith is quite similar to that. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We must understand up front that there will be times when we're going to hit the wall, spiritually. And there will be times when we're tempted to give up, but we must keep on running. We must endure to the end by the grace that God gives us. The third strategy for running the race of faith is found in verse 2 and verse 3. Notice that the author exhorts his fellow Christian readers to fix their eyes on Jesus as they run. The author also says something similar at the start of verse 3. He commands his readers to consider Jesus. And the point is that Jesus must be the focus as we run the race of faith. 
He is the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has run flawlessly from the beginning of the race to the end. And He stands at the finish line and we have to fix our gaze on Him as we run the race of faith. And in short, as we run the race of faith, we must fix our eyes and our thoughts on Jesus. We're also told why we must fix our attention on Jesus at the end of verse 3. The reason is so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. That's why. Again, as we talked about previously, our thinking and mental toughness are key in running the race with endurance and finishing that race well. And the last strategy for running the race of faith is found at the end of verse 2. Notice how our role model Jesus ran the race of faith. He did it by focusing on the joy that was set before him. And when I first read this, it, it, it kind of surprised me. And I mean, Jesus, the very God of the universe, looked at the joy on the other side of a cross as somewhat of a motivation to endure suffering. Well, make no mistake, there was joy awaiting him on the other side of the cross. The Apostle Paul commented this about the glory and joy awaiting Jesus. He said, being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And like Jesus, joy awaits us after we finish the race. There's suffering here, but there's glory on the other side of life. Here's a few of the joys that the Scripture promises to those who finish the race of faith. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 indicates that in heaven we will share Christ's throne with Him and share His glory. 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12 tells us that after we finish the race of faith, we will rule Christ's creation with Him. Romans 8, 16 tells us that we are co-owners of all of creation with Christ. All that is His is ours also. 1 John 3, 2 tells us that when we complete the race of faith, we will see Jesus face to face and be transformed into His likeness. We will have eternal, incorruptible bodies just like Him. Amen to that. Revelation 21, 3-4 tells us that in eternity, the Lord Himself will live among us and will eliminate all sorrow, death, crying, and pain. And like Jesus, our role model did, we must focus on the unspeakable joy of eternity. You know, even though so much of this life demands our attention each and every day, we must develop the habit of reminding ourselves of the realities of eternity if we're going to run the race of faith to its completion. At the very conclusion of his life, 
as he awaited execution, the Apostle Paul made this amazing statement. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. You know, Paul had suffered immensely in his life, and there was even some more suffering to come for him even after he wrote this. Yet he had completed the marathon race of faith, and he looked forward to the joy of his reward. You know, and may we, like Paul, may we prepare effectively for the race of faith, and look at the role models which we have and employ the scriptural strategies that we have to run this race and finish this marathon well. For when we do, when we do, there is an eternity of joy awaiting us. Let's pray. Our Father, we... We thank You for the encouraging and practical instruction You give us in the Scriptures. Lord, we thank You this morning for the good Word You have given us about running the race of faith that You have called us to and running it well. Lord, by Your grace, we will run it to completion even through the toughest of times. We thank You that the glory that awaits us in your presence. It's there. And that we are the very bride of Christ, your Savior. We rejoice in this, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.